Amen. Well, good morning. It's so good to have you here. You're not sick, or at least if you are, I don't want to shake your hand after worship service, but <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. You know, I, I, uh, my name's Andy. For those of you uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet, you know, I, I've, I've probably shaken every one of your hands at, at some point, and yet, um, you know, we're about six and a half months into my tenure here at Troy United Methodist Church, and I, I, I tell you, I... I, I still don't know everybody's name yet. I'm really working at it, though. And I, I just, uh, you know, re-met some people who I should have known a little while ago. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there are, are uh, many of you like that. So uh, please help me out. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting better. I'm, get, I'm getting most of your names down. But, uh, but uh, maybe on the way out, I, I'd love to, to say hi again. But I, I really am glad that you're here today as we conclude this uh, message series on the worst things that Jesus never said. Uh, Jesus, Jesus never said, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, Jesus never said everything happens for a reason. And he never, he never said the often used phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Jesus never said it. And yet I found that an awful lot of Christians like to use this phrase. Typically, uh, we'll use this phrase in, in a couple of different scenarios. The first scenario goes a, a little something like this. Oh, those people. I, I can't believe. Can you believe the way that they live their lives? Don't, don't you just think their behavior is appalling? I just hate everything that they kind of represent, what they stand for. Well, but Jesus says we should love everybody, hate the sin, love the sinner, I guess. Now, in that scenario, our motive, if we're honest, is just pretty poor, isn't it? Uh, we, we, don't, we don't know those people. Uh, we observe their actions and their behaviors from a distance, and we've already made our, our, our judgments and our decisions about what they do. Our motive is to judge first and then to kind of nicely hide it under the guise of, of love with a statement like, hate the sin, love the sinner. But there's another scenario when this phrase gets uttered. In a lighthearted manner, it's what fans of Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, and our beloved Mark McGuire, right? Uh, what what uh, we've been saying about them and others in preparation for another baseball Hall of Fame ballot, which will take place this week in just a couple of days. And, and, and we might say something like, well, I, I hate what they did. I, I hate that they cheated. I hate that they took steroids. I, I hate the sin, but I just can't help it keep loving this sinner. But this scenario uh, is, is oftentimes a, a lot more personal than that, isn't it? Your, your child, uh, despite the way that you raise them to be responsible, continues to lose jobs for not showing up on time. It, your brother's life is a mess because he blows all of his money on drugs. Your, your parents are, are constantly rude to your spouse, or your spouse is oftentimes unkind to you. The, the seemingly nice lady in your journey group smiles when she's around others, and then she tears them to shreds behind their back. A fellow church member lets his anger spill out onto everybody, and it oftentimes causes all kinds of dysfunction. Someone you love with your whole heart that does something horrible, or is caught up into some bad stuff, and you have this internal conflict brewing inside you. 
You're deeply troubled as you try to balance your love for this person with your, <clears throat> your, your utter disappointment in their choices and, and, and really even hate. Yes, you, you hate the devastation that their choice, choices are, are wreaking on their lives and maybe even spilling over into your life. Usually in this scenario, when you say hate the sin, love the sinner, your motives are right. Your motives are pure. Your desire is that they would recognize that what they're doing is wrong and then change their ways. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh, a while back, I asked people to comment on their view of this statement on, on Facebook. And what I found is that most people, shall I say, hated this phrase. And, and they, they really, really hated it because of the use of, uh, they, they hated the use of one word in this phrase. Uh, can you guess which word they hated so much? Hate. Uh, of course, they, they, they hated hate. In general, they didn't see how the word hate matched up with God or the Bible or Jesus at all. They felt uh, just in general that it misrepresents God and the heart of Jesus. So in response, I, I did the, the pastor thing, and I spent some time doing an in-depth study of the word hate and, and the way that it's used and the way that it shows up in the Bible. And this is a little of what I learned. The Bible has a couple of words that are rendered hate in our English translations. This word, if you can see it on the screen here, this word is the Hebrew Old Testament word for hate. It's read right to left. That's three-fourths of the Bible. You got to read it right to left. It's read right to left and pronounced sane. That's a, a S sound on the right, N in the, the middle, and then like an eh sound at the end. Sane. Can you say that with me? Sane. Uh, that's the Hebrew, the Old Testament word for hate. And then this is the New Testament word. Um, it's, it's Greek. You read this one left to right, just like English. And it is pronounced miseo. Miseo. Can you say that with me? Miseo. So th these are the two words that are uh, translated into the word hate in our English language from the Bible. And they appear over 200 times in those contexts throughout the scriptures. Uh, they're used in a variety of different circumstances. Sometimes hate is used to describe the sinful attitude within people, such as uh, Proverbs chapter 10, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. Uh, other times it's used to point out the feelings that, that certain people, oftentimes dubbed the wicked, wicked people, have toward God. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him. They would be doomed forever. Still other times, it's used uh, to point out the world's attitude toward Jesus and toward Jesus' followers. For instance, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. All of these usages, I think we get. I think we can grasp these. They make sense. People hate it's the state of uh, our fallen humanity. People often hate God. They'll often turns that, turn that hatred that they have toward the people of God, Christians. Jesus even tells us to expect that. But, but the Bible uses hate in a couple of other ways that I think are a little more troubling for those of us who hate. 
the word hate. You see, sometimes the Bible uses hate to describe how God feels toward evil. And even sometimes those who do evil. Take, for instance, Psalm 5. Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. And even more troubling to some folks, the Bible teaches that it's the call of the godly, to the, the, the righteous ones, to hate what God hates, to hate evil, and even sometimes evildoers. You who love the Lord, hate evil. Or Proverbs 8.13, which says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Psalm 139, oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, yes, I hate them with total hatred for your, your enemies are my enemies. So maybe, according to these verses, we really ought to change the saying to hate the sin and hate the sinner too. Wouldn't that make it nice and rosy for everybody? Uh, but of course, there's more to the story here. Uh, this, this is always, it's always the problem with taking a, a verse here or a verse there or a verse there out of the scriptures without interpreting them in light of, of the, entire, the entirety of scripture. Uh, here are a couple more things that, that we have to keep in mind as we wrestle with hate. Uh, first, in, in regards to the righteous and the godly who are called to hate what God hates, uh, there's no doubt about it. This is biblical. Uh, you, you, but you and I both know that, that it has led many Christians um, to stand on, on a high and lofty perch and just kind of pick off sinners uh, as if we're shooting frogs in a barrel, right? It, it's, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, and if we're honest, whether we want to admit it or not, many of us thrive on this. It, it somehow makes us feel better about ourselves when we can point out other people's sin that just revolts us. Uh, on top of that, it's, it, it, it is really easy to do. It is so easy to point out other people's sin, those people's sin, without knowing them uh, or truly loving them. It's so easy to, to just hurl stones at a group of people in whose shoes we have never walked it's so easy to put ourselves in a place of judgment over others. But that's the call of the righteous and the godly, right? And the answer to that question is, well, yes. Yes, it is. There's only one problem with that answer. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous. Not even one. So maybe it's not our role to be the hater of others' sin because... We ourselves are not righteous. I'll share a little bit more on that in a bit. But the truth is, God is righteous, right? God is righteous. So what do we have to say about God's hatred of sin? That brings up another problem for many folks. How do we reconcile a God who, who, who the scriptures say hates sin, hates evil? And even according to the Bible, God sometimes hates evildoers. How can we reconcile that with a God who the Bible also describes as the embodiment of love? Now, let me build this up just a little bit. You see, this, this isn't just some 
neat theological question that pastors who really, they only work on Sundays, so they spend the rest of their week thinking about stuff like this. This isn't just some neat little theological question uh, that people have wrestled with for centuries. This, this question is really of utmost importance for you and, and for me and everyday people because our answer to this question really affects our heart and our attitude toward everything and everybody. Your answer to this question really is critical. How can I reconcile a God who is love and yet hates evil and even evildoers? Now, on the one side, if you ignore the first half of that, that, that God is love, if you ignore that part of the equation, then, then you end up becoming a little hateful and judgmental. And I know I'm going to get real, in real trouble for this generalization, uh, but, but you end up becoming a little Fox News-ish. You know, and hateful judgmentalism is, is outright condemned in the scriptures. Now, for all of you who want to cast stones right now, I'm an equal opportunity hater, so just hold on a moment. Uh, on the other side, if you, if you ignore God's hate of sin, the other side of the equation, and, and then you're ignoring uh, God's, God's character of holiness and, and justice, and that becomes a really, really slippery slope that easily leads to uh, complete apathy towards sin, both your own and other people's, ignoring the consequences of, of that sin and unrighteousness altogether. You end up becoming a little MSNBC-ish. Hey, anything goes because I'm a sinner too. From, from a biblical standpoint, that's not a valid option either. So how? How do we reconcile a God of love who also hates sin? Well, here's an attempt. God's hatred of sin and sinful people really comes out of God's character of holiness. You see, holiness and the righteousness of God and sin are, are mutually exclusive. They, they cannot coexist, a little bit like Cub and Cardinal fans. You know, you, you understand what I mean. It's just, it's a, it can't coexist. They're mutually exclusive. Uh, you get it. Uh, furthermore, sin has consequences. And unless those consequences are dealt with, uh, God is not truly just. The, thus, God's hatred and, and condemnation of sin. But, but God is love, too. So how do we reconcile the two? A better question is, where do we reconcile the two? Right there. On the cross, we reconcile God's hatred of sin and God's love right on the cross. That, that is the gospel message. Our sin deserves God's hatred. And yet God, even in the Old Testament, declares that it is not his desire to see evildoers die. He doesn't want to see people stuck and caught up in sin. God desires that people turn from their sin. So God, in his perfect act of love, took the judgment that we deserve upon himself. Jesus, in the flesh, loved us enough to suffer our consequence for sin in our place. The Bible says it best in Ephesians chapter 2, but God is so rich in mercy 
And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Thanks be to God. You know, but where does that leave us? I mean, how can those of us who have been rescued by Jesus, how can we move forward when confronted with those who we love, who yet, despite our love, are are living self-destructive lives? When we're tempted to say, hate the sin, love the sinner, with really the purest of motives. Well, the song that we just sang, I just want to point back to the song. Jesus has to be our vision when, when struggling with how to live this out. He, he has to be our vision. We have to look to him to see how did he do it. And, and with Jesus as our vision, we know clearly from the Bible that, that Jesus loved sinners. Right? There's no disputing that. You, you can't read the Bible and not get that. That's why we love Jesus for it. He welcomed the broken. He welcomed the ungodly. He forgave the most grievous of evildoers. He, he told the story of the prodigal son. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus, who was a wicked tax collector who stole from the poor. He, he forgave the adulterous woman when everyone else wanted to stone her out of hatred. So there's no problem with the second half of the phrase, love the sinner. We, we, we can see that across Jesus very easily. But what about the first part? Hate the sin. On the one hand, as, as God's people, we're supposed to hate sin. On the other hand, no one is righteous, not even one. So maybe it's not our role. Well, what, what does Jesus, being our vision, what, what might he have to say as we reflect on how to respond to hating sin? Well, our scripture passage, which Deb read for us this morning, in that, Jesus points to an alternative way. Well, let's hear those words again. Jesus said, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? (laughs) Hypocrite? First, get rid of the log in your own eye then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I think this passage, I mean, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Jesus tells us flat out not to be so concerned about other people's sin, but instead to be primarily concerned about our own. There are two ways that I I really want to challenge you as I challenge myself uh, around this topic. Two challenges regarding the saying, Hate the sin, love the sinner. Challenge number one. If you, with the purest of motives, truly hate the sin of others, ask yourself the question, are you willing to hate it the way that God does? Let me ask that again. Assuming the purest of motives, if you truly hate the sin of others, are you willing to hate it the same way that God hates it? how does God hate it? Answer, enough to personally die 
in order to show his love in the midst of it? Are you willing to lay down your life in order to to show the love of God to someone who is living a self-destructive life? If your motives are not pure, if they're based on judgment and and, and condemnation in a way that you're kind of uh, propping yourself up uh, to put somebody else or some group of people down, then those motives are going to be uh, easily exposed in your answer to that question. But if your motives are pure, and then maybe the next question for you to ask yourself is this. In, in my hate of this person's sin, am I giving them any reason to know my deep love for them? Am I giving them any reason to know that I truly love them? Am I willing to lay down my life for them in the midst of their sin? That's how much God loved us. Challenge two. Once again, assuming your motives are pure and your desire is to see others turn from the sin that that you recognize is destroying their lives. Um, Let me emphasize this challenge that doesn't come from me. It comes comes from Jesus. Well, what if? What if instead of spending your efforts pointing out other people's sin or, or figuring out why it's so sinful or why it's so destructive to them, instead of spending all of your efforts pointing out other sin, you instead spend all of your effort hating your own sin. What if you lived a life that specifically acknowledged your sin by, by saying, I hate this. I, I, I hate that I'm a sinner. I, I'm prideful. I'm self-righteous. I'm disrespectful. I lie. I'm full of lust. I'm self-indulgent and greedy. I am driven by self-interest most of the time. And I deserve God's hatred. I deserve God's judgment. And yet, he has mercy and has showered his love on me instead. You know, I can say that. It's, it is the truth. And I believe with my whole heart that if those of us who call ourselves Christ followers would spend more time cultivating that kind of an attitude, an attitude where we authentically and humbly pointed to our own sin and then did everything that we could to pursue holiness in our own life, then our lives would be so appealing to to a world around us that, that is broken in sin too. And that it would lead more and more people to hope and freedom that's found in the place where God's hatred of sin and love for sinners was dealt with. It would do so much more good than saying phrases and platitudes like hate the sin, love the sinner ever could. Yeah, you could make a case from scripture that we're called to hate the sin and love the sinner, even though Jesus never really said it. He, He never said it. But I think a more biblically accurate platitude would be this. Love the sinner. Hate your own sin. Because none of us is righteous. None of us is called God's child because we earned it with good behavior. We're called his children because he took on the hate and the condemnation that we deserved. He loves us that much. Now, if you're here today or you're, you're listening later uh, online, and if for whatever reason you have felt condemned by God or by the church or by Christians because of your sin, or maybe if you felt like 
gosh, if people really saw inside of me, if they really saw what my life has been, then they would certainly condemn me. If that's what you have experienced in your past, then let me be clear, no one is righteous. Not even one. It's not my place to judge you or to to condemn you. It's not the role of the church to do so either. Uh, Only God is the judge. Uh, And he's, uh, I mean, the good news is he's already pronounced judgment. Most amazingly, he took that judgment upon himself on the cross so that you uh, and me, despite our sin, can be welcomed into his loving embrace. You will find no condemnation from here. Now, in a moment, we're going to uh, sing together. And, uh, you know, just personally, it's a good thing people aren't standing in front of me (laughs) in the front row when we're singing songs together because, you know, I'm belting them out. Uh, My voice gets a little scratchy when I come up here because I've just been singing my heart out uh, because I I need that. I I need that every single week. Uh, maybe, Maybe you do too. Yeah. Um, uh, oftentimes, this world just, you know, it brings its own challenges. It brings its own pain and, and struggle. E- even if it's not your own, it's just kind of out there and it's, you're, you're kind of hearing it, you're reading it, you're seeing it. Uh, that, that's, you know, I, I feel like oftentimes it just sucks the, the faith and the, the joy. It just sucks it right out of me. And, and may, maybe it does for you too. That's one reason why though we, we sing songs of faith because oftentimes we, we come in here, we're just a little, uh, a little emptier than when we left last. And we sing these songs of faith. We listen to the words. We, we sing the songs um, of these words that are deep, powerful truth in order to remember what it was that we've lost since the last time we sung them. We remember the, the truth of God's love for us and the hope that we have in him. We remember that, that we're not condemned, that, that we're welcomed into his loving embrace because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. We remember and we believe, and by God's grace, we're transformed in the process. So let's turn our hearts to doing just that now. Would you pray with me? God, and really, we, we can't thank you enough for taking upon yourself the, the hatred that, that we deserve because of our evil actions. You are the only one. Jesus, you're the only one who is truly righteous and holy, and yet out of your love, you do not condemn us, but you invite us to yourself if we'd only receive your grace by admitting our need for the cross. That cross where your father's hatred of sin and love for the sinner were reconciled. The cross where our sin was dealt with once and for all. The cross where we're given new life because you gave your life for us. Jesus, we cannot thank you enough. All we can do is take your challenge seriously to love others the way you loved us and to actively, actively hate our own sin and turn from it toward you by the power of your spirit in us. It's by the power of that spirit that we pray in your name.